We're in um, chapter 3 of Matthew, and I'm going to read from verse 13 to 17. Not a long reading, although I will mention a couple of other verses prior to that. So we're in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you this evening for so many people in the service and also um, watching online. And we pray that you'll bless each home and family represented here. We pray, Lord, that as we look at this scripture, we will once again be amazed at the price you paid to be our saviour. We will be eternally grateful for your love. So thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Amen. The baptism of John was an unusual baptism. One commentator says John is like an Old Testament prophet, but he's in the New Testament. Okay, so he's preaching repentance. He's very much an ascetic. He lives in the wilderness. His clothing is, is unusual and he's quite a character. He's fearless. He uh, accused Herod of uh, sin and exposed it. And really he was quite a character and he's really almost as I say that Old Testament prophet but he's in the New Testament and he's that link it says he was sent to prepare the way of the Lord and of course the Lord was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ so John the Baptist is a, a vital character in the story of Christ and in the story of the Gospels because he's that link. One arm, it's, one hand seems to be in the Old Testament with John, the other hand is in the New Testament and he's linking the two together. John preached a very clear message. It was very simple, very simple. It tells us in verses 1 to 12 what his ministry was. In verse 8 it says this of him, that he preached... Um, he said to the Sadducees and Pharisees, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Produce fruits in keeping with repentance. So his message was very much, you need to repent. Repent of your sins and be baptised. This was not the baptism that we have in this church regularly, where folk who have come to faith are baptised. This was in preparation of the coming of the Messiah. John was saying, listen, he's coming, you need to repent of your sins and be ready for when Christ comes. I'm sure there were people who were baptised by John who were later baptised by the apostles after they had come to faith in Christ. So his message was a very clear message. It involved very much a, um, producing fruit in keeping with repentance. He also says in verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He acknowledged that he was outside of society. He wasn't part of the Pharisees, wasn't part of the priesthood. He was very much that lone voice in the wilderness speaking out, preparing the way. And then of course in verse 11 we read the words there, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me will come one 
who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so his message was very clear. One of repentance. Second, that he was that voice preparing the way of the Lord. And thirdly, he spoke about one who was to come. And of course, that was none other than the Messiah. That was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we come to our reading. So we have here the people going out. It tells us there that um, in Luke 3, 21, it says there, when all the people were being baptized, that's important. Luke tells us that John drew crowds of people to hear him. He was controversial. He was fiery, more fiery than I am. I can assure you of that. And um, you know, he would speak out against Herod. He would speak out against the Pharisees. He'd speak out about, do you know what? The only person he really spoke well of was the one who was coming, who was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that he's preaching and Luke tells us that the crowds were coming out to him. And of course, that was because they were conscious, his preaching had an effect and people felt the need to be baptized and to repent of their sins. So in this great time, almost, I, I, I don't like to use the word revival, but in this awakening through John's preaching, we find that it says there, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. This is momentous. He left Galilee, he'd come away. He'd left Nazareth where he had lived. He'd lived with his mum, Mary. His earthly father, Joseph, had died sometime after his 11th birthday and the, now his 30th birthday. For those years, we know very little other than he was the head of the family. He looked after his mother. He looked after his brothers and sisters. He was probably the breadwinner. He took over the family business of carpentry. He played his role. So when you and I find ourselves with family problems, you might think, well, how does Jesus know he was never married? Well, he may never have married, but he had brothers and sisters. He had a mum, a widowed mum. He had a business he had to provide. There was so much that he was aware of so that he could identify with us. That's why he didn't just come. Uh, he came as a baby that he might live our life and know what we go through and be touched, it says the scriptures, with the feelings of our infirmities. He would understand what it was. He, he knew what Monday morning was. Or for the Jewish people, it was probably Sunday morning. But he knew what Monday morning was anyway, to understand that feeling here. And it was when all the people were coming out and um, the disciples were there and all the people went out to be baptized. And then we have this tremendous scene. It says there that Jesus left the carpenter shop. He took off his carpenter's apron. He folded it up. He put it down. Maybe he said to one of his earthly brothers, listen, this is now you. You've got to provide. You've got to work. You've got to look after mum. You know, I don't need you to pay me because I'm moving on. And that whole 30 years that we know so little about. We have a glimpse of him in the temple as a little boy. We have a glimpse of him as a baby going up and Zechariah prophesied. We have these little glimpses. Whoever tells you they know what happened in those years, I don't think they do. I don't think they do. But one day he left to go to the Jordan. And the first almost public event that took place for him was his baptism. And yet here we have the Son of God. Here we have Jesus, the sinless one, and he's coming out. And he, I love the picture here that he joined the queue. 
When everybody else was queuing up to be baptized and there were big crowds that were going out to John, as I said there, or when all the people were being baptized, Jesus came forward. And Jesus came back to John to be baptized by John. And then we see the, 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 the prophetic insight that John had. You see, he wasn't just a prophet that foretold, you know, you're all a bunch of sinners, foretelling. He foretold and forth, foretold and foretold in this thing. And when Jesus appears, in fact, in John, it tells us that when he saw Jesus coming, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And when Jesus arrived there and he came and there were crowds and crowds, John knew there was something different about this man. John knew immediately the Spirit of God bore witness with John that the man standing in front of him was not just a carpenter, was not just from Nazareth, hadn't just arrived from Galilee with other pilgrims. And John tried to uh, deter him. John said, no, I'm not baptizing you. I know who you are. And he said, I need to be baptized you and you come to me. What humility. Even his name, John the Baptist, well, you know, he thought, well, this is my ministry, you know. But no, John was prepared to lay down his ministry. He was prepared to say to Jesus, look, don't you, I'm not going to baptize you. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I don't think I've been baptized. I've been so busy baptizing other people. Will you baptize me? What humility. And the crowds were there. He had his own band of disciples, which he later would release to become Jesus' disciples. Such integrity in John. And Jesus says these words, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. You see, the reason Jesus was baptized was to fulfill all righteousness. So in one sense, Jesus did not need to be baptized because he had never sinned. But it was the righteous thing to do. We have other illustrations of this. We find when in Luke 1, 21, Jesus as a baby was circumcised. Being a Jewish baby, he was circumcised. He had no need to be circumcised. The circumcision that marked out the Abrahamic covenant was a covenant that Jesus had made with Abraham. And yet as a child, he submitted to that. Why? For the purpose of righteousness. We find also at the time of purification, he was presented at the temple. He never, he no more needed, he had to be presented to God. He'd just come from God in the incarnation. But he was the proper and the righteous thing to do. And in the same vein, Jesus now steps forward and says, listen, I know what you're saying, John. You acknowledge it, that's great. But you don't understand everything. It is righteous that I am baptized. Though he had never sinned, though he never would sin or never will sin, he still said, this is to take place. And I believe the reason he was baptized and the righteousness involved in it was that he wanted to identify with us even at the beginning of his ministry in baptism that, that he was identifying with a sinful people even though he was not a sinful person himself. So he said, listen, human race, I'm identifying with you. Although I have no sin, I'm going to be baptized. 
We don't hear of Jesus repenting. He couldn't repent. He had nothing to repent of. But what he could do in righteousness, submit to this, identifying with the crowds in baptism. Of course, the other occasion when he identified with our sins, and this was to foreshadow that, was when he hung upon the cross and he took our sins upon him. Scripture says he became sin for us. So he identified with our sins in baptism, but he did not procure our salvation through that. It was the proper and righteous thing to do, as it was the proper and righteous thing to be presented in the temple as a baby, as it was the righteous and proper thing for him as an 11 year old to go up to the temple, the story where his parents went home and left him behind. They were proper and righteous things to do. You see, righteousness is a very important word for us as Christians, particularly in this day in which we live. You see, the world tells us that certain things are right, but we know they're wrong. They say, oh, it's all right to do that. It's all right to do that. And we know that scripture teaches that it's not the right thing to do. So we don't do what people say is right. We do try and do what God says is righteous. Righteousness is when God says it, we do it. We have divided opinions about so many subjects. Well, I think that's right. And you think that's right, but that's not it. Righteousness is doing what God thinks is right. And Jesus wanted to fulfill that righteousness in that moment. The water signified the cleansing, but Jesus had no sin. This, um, it tells us that the Messiah would take upon himself our sins. Isaiah 53, we find that Christ indeed was going to be the one who would send the Holy Spirit. And so the emphasis is not upon sin, but it, the emphasis is upon the coming of the Holy Spirit. John could baptize sinners, but John could not send the Holy Spirit. John could preach a great message of repentance and have people come to faith in God and repent, but he could not save people. And that's where the two ministries depart. That's why he said to Jesus, you ought to baptize me. You're God, you're the Messiah. I'm only a mouthpiece. What integrity and what spirituality John showed in that situation. Then we come to the baptism itself. Jesus replied, let it be so now. And then John consented. Isn't it great that John did not argue anymore? You see, he said, listen, you should baptize me. Jesus said, no, you're gonna baptize me because it is the righteous thing to do. The moment John heard that from the mouth of Jesus, no more debate, no more argument. He comes straight in with it, says, then John consented. Once Jesus said, you're going to do it, and it's the righteous and proper thing to do, John submit. The fearless John, John who would lose his head in martyrdom, John who would speak against Herod in his court, and his wife, oh, he was a brave, brave man. And yet, he submitted to Jesus. Then John consented. I wonder if there's something in my life, in your life, where God's told us to do something. We know it's the righteous thing to do, but we haven't yet consented to it. Do a John the Baptist, consent to it now. Do what you know to be right in Christ. Well, it tells us there, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. How wonderful a scene. We have the Son of God, in the River Jordan, 
being baptised by John. When I get to heaven, I'm going to get the DVD out on that because I want to watch that. You know, the crowds around, the crowds maybe parting a little when this conversation is taking place. They're saying, what's the hold up? Why is he talking to that man? You know, I've got to get home to watch England play football. Sorry, anybody here from the Ukraine? Oh, that's a shame. Anyway, um, no, no, I would, have, I, would have been, I would have felt sorry for you for a little while. Anyway, you know, they're saying, what's the hold up? The hold up was the prophet of God was talking to the son of God and the prophet of God submitted to the son of God. And Jesus was baptized, not because he was sinful, but because he wanted you and I to know that at the beginning of his ministry, he identified us with a sinful people. And that would find its total fulfillment when Jesus died upon the cross. Well, moving on a little bit, we'll look at to see what happens next. It says there, um, sorry, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Of course, in this church, we believe in um, total immersion. If you were to be baptized in this church, you go right under the water. I became a Christian at a baptismal service. Um, some young men were going to be baptized and I did not believe they were going to be baptized. I could name their names, but I've not I got permission maybe to do that. Um, and I thought I was a wild man, but these boys were wilder than me. And I didn't believe that they would let anybody put them anywhere, let alone under the water. And I came to a baptismal service. And I saw these lads who I knew from the streets getting baptized and being totally immersed, being buried in Christ. In fact, that service, I gave my life to Christ at that. Very powerful. And it tells us when Jesus came up out of the water, hence that's one of the key verses for us with our total immersion. Something then happened, very important. Something happened, okay? So John agreed. Jesus submitted, okay, and went there. at that moment the heaven was open. One of the other gospel writers says the heavens were torn open. It was like a momentous thing, the heavens were torn open at this baptism of Jesus. And the words are told there, at that moment the heaven was opened and, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him. He could pause there. Notice the word, like a dove. Now, when we come to Acts 2, when Jesus is baptizing the church in the Holy Spirit, I should go to my Father, and he will send the Holy Spirit. It says, there were tongues like as of fire, and a sound like of a rushing mighty wind. And here we find it was like a dove. Now, I, I, I don't know what like a dove means. It, it may have been a dove, but it was like a dove anyway. And... Um, I've met people who say, well, when I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'd like the dove to rest on me. I don't think I want any, um, I don't want this speaking in tongues and I, I certainly don't want to shake and you don't have to shake, none of that's compulsory. You know, half the things they say Pentecostals do, I've never seen, I'd love to see it. If you hear of a church where they're swinging from the chandeliers, I want, will you tell me? I'll go along and watch. And I'd also like to know who the electrician was who put the chandeliers up. You know, it's not this. You say, well, I want the dove. No, sorry. Nowhere else in scripture do we hear of the dove coming upon anyone. It came upon Jesus because the dove spoke of purity. He was sinless. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I spoke in tongues. 
there were no tongues of fire as far as I'm aware. Well, I was in a tent in an Elam youth camp when that happened, but I spoke in tongues. I was given a, a sign from God that I was now baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, in that way. And for Jesus, he didn't receive tongues of fire. He received the dove. And he's the only one that did. And the reason is this, only he's the only one who was sinless. You and I have the fire. You and I have tongues. Jesus had the dove because he was the sinless son of God. And it says the Holy Spirit um, descended like a dove and lightning upon him. In another verse, it spoke about the Messiah and it said, who you see the Spirit of God descend upon and remain. So it wasn't that the dove landed and took off. It, no, that wasn't the case. The dove remained with him and the spirit of God remained with him. Not in the form, please, I am not being humorous. Jesus didn't walk about with a dove with him all the time. Of course not. But he was filled afresh, pardon me, he was filled with the Holy Spirit in this occasion. The spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him in that way. So here we have the son of God in the water with John the Baptist. Here we have the Holy Spirit coming from heaven and resting upon him. And you know that the Godhead is made up of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this was such a momentous occasion, such a turn in God's economy from the Old Testament to the New Testament, to the beginning of the Messiah's ministry, that we find here that someone else got involved. So we have the Son of God, we have the Spirit of God, and it says there, and the voice from heaven said, so God was going to speak, God the Father. This is my son. How wonderful that is. This is my son. Once again, God identifies with Jesus. We have the visit of the Holy, the voice says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. In those words, we see first of all, Christ's relationship to his father, my son. At all occasions, he was Father, Son, my Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Lord's prayer that he gave us, the disciples' prayer really, that he gave to us. And so God spoke on this occasion and he said, this is my Son. Total identity, spoke about relationship. If ever you were in any doubt whether Jesus was the Son of God, this, these verses should just put that to rest for you. This is my Son. Then it says, whom I love. You see, people say God's not emotional. God is emotional. Jesus wept, you know, um, very important. God has emotions. He, he loves with an everlasting love. Of course he is emotional. He will get angry. We know times in the Old Testament when he got angry, emotions at sin and, um, and, and lack of faithfulness to him. Oh, yes emotions and here we have God expressing to his son whom I love that's it why did he love Jesus at this point why did he say that now why did he say following up with whom I am well pleased I believe the father said those three things first of all to speak of his relationship with Jesus it's his son whom I love so Jesus was assured at the beginning of his ministry, which was going to end in crucifixion, that every day he was loved by his father. And lastly, with whom I am well pleased. 
I think that was an acknowledgement that Jesus had come to the Jordan at the age of approximately 30 and he had not sinned. God the Father would not have been pleased if Jesus had sinned. But Jesus hadn't. Imagine that, arriving at the age of 30 and not sin. Some of you didn't get to 13. I didn't get to three months, you know. It's amazing that here we have a man, 30 years of age, who had never sinned and would spend another three years in tremendous pressure of ministry and attack from the Pharisees, etc., and the crucifixion, and he still did not sin. For when he rose from the dead, he was as sinless as the day he went to the Jordan. He was as sinless as the day he was born. And those words of the Father, you know, are an encouragement to us. Because I believe the Father would say to you, my son, my daughter, God wants relationship with you. And that comes about because of the death of Jesus Christ. Because he was faithful, we are now forgiven. Because he went to the cross, our sins are forgiven. And not only does he bring us into his family, the Bible says that we've been adopted into God's family. We cry, Abba, Father, because we're now adopted into the family of God, having received the gift from Jesus of eternal life. And the Father says, I love you. I don't know how you think of God this evening, but I can say this. He may not be pleased with your lifestyle, whatever that might be, but let me tell you this, he loves you. He died on the cross for you. He said, Gordon, you don't know what a terrible person I am. No, I don't. And you know, I don't need to know. And you don't need to tell God, really. All you have to tell God is not what you've done wrong, is tell him that you're sorry for what you've done wrong. And will he forgive you because of Jesus' death on the cross? And the father will say, yes. Then he'll say, my son, whom I love, I am well pleased. You see, in me, in the natural there is nothing for God to be pleased about with Gordon Neal. Nothing at all. I got, I don't, just absolutely amazed. I don't, in fact, if I thought about it very long, I, I don't think I could ever preach again because I just fall so far short. But then I realise that he has made me worthy, Amen. that he has made me righteous, that he has given me those robes of righteousness we spoke about the other week. Therefore, I can boldly approach the throne of grace because of what Christ did. So my emphasis now is not on how bad Gordon is. I will never forget how bad I am because when I acknowledge my sin, I glorify him as the savior who took my sins to the cross. Now, I'm not gonna tell you my sins. You'd like to know some of them, wouldn't you? But I'm not gonna tell you because all you would do is walk out probably. <laughs> So I won't tell you because, and I'll tell you something else, God's not going to tell you either. Because you know, it's a lovely verse that says, God puts his, our sins behind his back, never to more to be remembered. Not lovely, he's forgotten them already. Now as I'm getting older, my wife tells me I'm forgetting more and more things. Well, God hasn't got a bad memory, he's got a good memory, he chooses to forget our sins. Well, we're almost there, you've listened so well. Now in John 1.33, it doesn't say those, I quoted it earlier, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he. So the mark of the Messiah was that the Holy Spirit would remain. Now, 
I have to jump into verse chapter four, just for this verse. Then Jesus led by the spirit um, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Next time I have an opportunity to speak, I'll look at that. But the Holy Spirit, he went to the Jordan, he got in the queue, he had a discussion with John, he was baptized, the Father spoke, the Holy Spirit came, and the Father spoke, and the three members of the Godhead were all present on this occasion. Why? Because he was now beginning his ministry. So, well, he had a ministry in the carpenter shop. Yes, he did. His ministry in the carpenter shop for these 30 years was not to sin. I believe that was his ministry, not to sin, so that he could arrive at the Jordan sinless, that he could arrive at the cross sinless. And having arrived at the cross sinless himself, he could then take my sins and your sins upon himself. So when he died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his sins, he was dying for our sins. No wonder the Father was well pleased in him. So the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon him. Sorry, I'm just checking my notes here. I've turned one over. The presence of the Holy Spirit, the visit of the dove, obviously identifies the purity and the gentleness of the ministry of Christ. We have the voice of the everlasting Father. This is my beloved Son. The approving voice of God is the greatest of blessings. My Son, whom I loved. And the Spirit of God remained on him and remains upon him even to this day. He ministers in the power of an endless life. Now you might think to yourself, well, so what's the answer? Why was Jesus baptised? He was baptised to identify with us in our sin. He was baptised to be obedient to the Father's will. He wanted to come to that point where he could say, I have not come to uh, destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So when they pointed the finger at him, he said, well, you're not a, you've not kept the law. You've not been circumcised. Excuse me, I have. Well, you've never been baptized. Had rich, the Jews had a lot of ritual washings. He said, I beg your pardon. I went into the water and John the Baptist himself baptized me. Well, what... And he would fulfill all righteousness. So he could stand in that day, having fulfilled the Old Testament laws and requirements of a Jewish man, and yet soar above them as the one on whom the dove remained, the one whom the Father said, This is my son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. What a goal for our lives. Excuse me, I'll just have a drink. What a goal for our lives that we might say every day, Lord, may I live this life so that you might say to me before I go to bed, my son, whom I love, I am well pleased with you. Now, that's a great prayer. Lord, may you say that. Now, he does. You're always going to be his son if you've given your life to Christ. You're always going to be loved. But the line that really is important is he well pleased with my, he's well pleased with Christ's life. Very much so, he says so. He rose from the dead, proving he was sinless. Fantastic. QED, all settled on that one. Oh, but Gordon Neal now, 
Is he pleased with me? What would give God pleasure? I think if we forgive people, that gives God pleasure. Each time I forgive someone, I think that God is well pleased because I'm imitating his son. Every time I do an act of uh, humble service and wash someone's feet, not literally, but in some other way, I think God is pleased with me. When I pray, when I read my Bible, when I share, when I care, basically, when I live a good Christian life, the Father is pleased. You think, well, who sees me when I do these acts of kindness? The Father. Who sees when I help someone who's in financial need without anyone else knowing? The Father sees. Who knows when I witness at work? There's no one around. and I take that, uh, t- the, 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 uh, the mocking at work. For, who sees? The Father sees. And he's well pleased. Well pleased. I don't ever remember having a school report where any teacher said they were well pleased with me. Don't ever remember it. I'm not proud of it, it's just a fact. In fact, one teacher had the nerve to say, doesn't even work well under supervision. They were comedians, the teachers in my school. Most of them were anyway. But I'm not so bothered about my school report. I'm bothered about his report. Is he saying of me, is he saying of you? My son, my daughter, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. You say, Gordon, I'm for, far, I'm, I've fallen short of that. Well, you've got the first two. You're a son or a daughter and you're loved. Why don't we once again rededicate ourselves to live lives that please our heavenly father?